The scripture reading this morning is from the third chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. There is a sobering and much-needed warning to all of us to examine ourselves and, and take care as we, while it's still today, that means while we still have opportunity to believe the gospel and to believe God and be saved, then do not harden our hearts against the against the word well let's uh, ask the lord's blessing then as we come to his word we will be in luke chapter 16 beginning at verse 19 this is the account of the rich man and lazarus father we ask your blessing upon our time in your word now We pray that as we have just been warned by your word in Hebrews, that we would not have hardened, unbelieving hearts, but that we would hear your word, that we would believe, 
it would be to our benefit that every single one of us present here or listening online or to anyone that might listen to this message in the future, we pray, Father, that each one would come to a knowledge of Christ, know Christ, and arrive safely home in your presence. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, yes, Luke chapter 16, and the passage begins in verse 19 as Jesus gives this account of the, uh, of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. We'll find it here. What, how did R.C. put it? I was in the right church, but the wrong pew when he was trying to to find the passage there. And uh, so here we are in Luke chapter 16. I um, I wanted to mention also that now that we've concluded our series in Hosea, we ended last time by skimming through the book and showing all the places at least, we probably missed some, where uh, there is clear and uh, quotations of or even uh, passages that are cited, quoted in the New Testament or allusions to the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the gospel or, or Christ in the, book of, uh, in the book of Hosea. But next, I, I would like to um, uh, do a series, it'll be a long one, kind of a long one, uh, through the gospel of Luke. I looked at the series that we've done uh, on sermon audio and we haven't always used sermon audio, but we have for quite a long time. And uh, there is not a series there in through the Gospel of Luke. Probably in years past, somewhere, sometime, I may have preached through Luke. But, uh, but at any rate, if I can't remember doing it, we probably should do it again. And, and now, of course, with the tools we have to put it on video and so forth online, then that's a, a good thing to do. So... We will plan to begin that, but it'll still be a couple of weeks because as it turns out, this, this uh, well, I hesitate to call it a parable because I think that the rich man and Lazarus were historic people. I don't think it was just, uh, but this account of the rich man and Lazarus, we're going to uh, need, we don't want to, this is not one to hurry through, and we're going to spend uh, probably at least two more Sundays on this. Uh, and so this is, this is part one. And uh, our, uh, J.C. Ryle made reference to what he calls an old divine. And what he means by that is a, an old theologian or, an, or probably a Puritan uh, pastor of some kind. And uh, he quoted him. And in regard to this uh, rich man Lazarus account, and he, he summed it up by saying, hell is truth known too late, too late. And, uh, and so this is part one then of that series. Well, listen, as I read the account here, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19 and receive it for what it is, the word of God. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. 
And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was thrown in a hole. That's pretty much what it, it says. The rich man died and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. Cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, send, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I think that that is one of the most uh, powerful passages in the gospel, and it is remarkable, a remarkable passage in, uh, in many ways. Jesus permits us to have a bit of a vision of what's going on with those who have departed this life, you see. These past few months, and, and, and I hope for lots of years uh, in, in this church, but I, I've been sensing, and maybe you have too, even more recently, that we've been privileged to, to be hit with, shall we say, um, some particularly powerful messages. As, and I want to say, I'm not patting myself on the back, I, I have in mind particularly like the one we just heard in the first hour, that this is a great privilege that we're able, you know, yeah, we're going to have a guest speaker, yeah, R.C. Sproul is going to speak at our church this morning, and, and Robert Godfrey, and Derek Thomas, and we're able to, to, to hear, and it is, it's a great, it's a great privilege, and when God gives great privileges, it is always accompanied by great responsibility. To hear. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden 
your heart. Sproul ended that message, you know, earlier by saying, when you lay your head on the pillow tonight, you think about these things. Because you might not wake up here on planet Earth. You might wake up in heaven or in hell, which is it going to be. The time is short. You know, we all know that we're growing older, and and uh, soon, really it's soon even for somebody that's 20 years old, but soon we will, we're going to pass out of this temporal life, and we're going to enter eternity. And, I, and it just seems to me like the Lord is being very kind to us now, and giving us a kind of a home stretch boost to examine ourselves, to see whether we're in the faith then um, or not. What is the condition of our, our, our hearts? And I hope that as we consider this particularly powerful and remarkable passage of Scripture here in Luke's Gospel, that the Lord would strike us with his spirit in a very powerful way and 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 get our attention. You heard R.C. say this morning, as he looked out probably on hundreds of people there in that Seattle conference, right? That this tells us Jesus' words, there's few saved, Jesus' words would indicate that many are here right now that are not saved. That's probably true of small and big congregations. Sin is deceptive. It is deceptive. If you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, if you're deceived about where you stand with the Lord, why would you not want to know that now? Do Do you want to wait to find out when you're knocking at the door and he says it's too late? It's too late. You'd want to know that. Now, but the enemy, the devil, the enemy of our souls, is, is, he is prowling around and he is doing everything he can to keep people from knowing Christ and entering the, the kingdom. We'll see that reinforced in future weeks coming up in, before long in the first hour when we will start reading uh, Pilgrim's Progress. You know, that, that is not just a kid's book by, by any means. It's, an, it's a very important one. So listen to these words of Christ. They're written to you and listen to them very carefully, prayerfully. Ask the Lord. I mean, what harm is there with that in asking the Lord, Lord, am I saved? Do I know you? If I don't know you, Please show me mercy and open then my eyes. And also, if I do know, if we do know him, that he, he would encourage us by these words. Well, let's move in for a closer look. First couple of verses here, 19 to 21. <clears throat> Listen to him again. There was a rich man who's clothed in purple. That's the, that was expensive clothing, okay? That's the point there. Fine linen. And who feasted sumptuously every day. That guy had to be overweight, right? He had to be. At his gate was this skin and bones guy, right? Uh, Was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. 
who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And just give me your garbage. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So here you have this marked contrast, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man's name is not given. I think, if I'm correct, uh, the Latin Vulgate, that was the Bible used for centuries by uh, the church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church. It's a Latin Bible. And I think that they give the rich man the name Dives, spelled like dives, but Dives, and it may be the Latin word, I don't remember, for rich, for a wealthy man. But we're just, but Jesus doesn't name the guy here. So we're not going to name him. He's just a rich man. Let's not give him any more celebrity status than he deserves, right? The rich man's name is not given, but, but the poor man's name is Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose, raised from the dead in John 11. Different Lazarus. But the condition of the two is given here to emphasize the contrast between them. Right, so here's the first. He's rich, he's clothed in the finest clothes, goodbye, and he feasts sumptuously daily. He, he probably put on banquets for his neighbors and people. He's a big man in the town, no doubt. Now, in contrast to that, here's Lazarus. He's not inside the mansion, he's outside, he's in outside the gate. He's poor covered with yucky sores. I don't know what kind of sores they were, ulcers, some kind. He desired crumbs. Just give me the ref, give me what you throw away. The dogs, the dogs were kinder to him than people were. The dogs licked his sword. Although in Jewish circles, it would be a very unclean thing. You know, dogs were not highly thought of. They were wrong in many, many ways. There's another example. Probably liked cats or something. I don't know. But John Bunyan, the author, who we're going to be learning a lot more about in future weeks. He's the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote a sermon, which is a detailed examination of this passage, the rich man and, and Lazarus. And, it, and it's long. It's a long a long sermon. The title that Bunyan gave his sermon was A Few Sighs from Hell. Because that's what Christ is doing here. He particularly gives us insight into the condition of, of the rich man in hell. He's trying to give us sober warning. Listen to what Bunyan said on this matter of rich versus poor. Those who judge according to outward appearance do for the most part judge amiss. That they who look upon their outward enjoyments to be tokens of God's special grace to them are also deceived. For as it is here in the parable, a man of wealth and a child of the devil may be one and the same person. Or a man may have an abundance of outward enjoyments and yet be carried by the devil's 
into eternal burnings. But this is the trap in which the devil has caught many thousands of poor souls, namely, by getting them to judge according to outward appearance or according to God's outward blessings. No doubt the rich man enjoyed more than what's listed here. Um, One advantage he would have had is the praise of man. For sure, he would have been a big man if he's putting on all these banquets at his his house daily and so forth, feasting and parties and societies. These were then his idols. And everybody in town, you know, look at that guy. I want to be like that guy. Oh, wow, you know, boy, God really is blessing that guy. And here's this other pathetic guy, if they even would take notice of of poor Lazarus. Obviously, what? Well, like Job's friends, you did something wrong, you better admit it, God's curse is upon you. And they had it absolutely backwards, right? But this rich man... He would have been a typical man who prided himself on receiving the praise of man. Now, if you want to know, if you want to be wise about a trap of the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil that takes so many people to hell, this is it. This is it. Many people who profess to be Christians are only Christians externally, and they're doing it because via their religion, like the Pharisees, that's what the Pharisees did. Their motive was get the praise of man. Get the praise of man. Sound the bugles when I drop some money. You know, that's what they want. I'm going to do all these good things, but they're motivated by the praise of man, not, for, not out of faith and obedience then <clears throat> to Christ. They don't know him. So craving the praise of man rather than the praise of God is a road to hell. I want to be liked. I want to have a name in the community. I want to have a reputation. That's what I'm after. Sometimes the lust for praise is even given, is even carried out after the guy is dead. And I'll give you an example of that in a moment, but, but uh, some people will actually specify what their funeral is supposed to be like. So there's a big event here, you know, so that people can go and they can say, man, man, look at that guy, I want to be like that guy. I was reading recently about James Brown. James Brown was known as the godfather of soul. Some other names He died on Christmas Day 2006 of uh, of pneumonia. He he was denying that he was that sick even up until the day that he died. At his funeral, get this, at his funeral, he had an open casket. uh, They actually changed the wardrobe on his body several times. You know, he, this guy wanted to go out in style, and he had, and by the way, it's also a, a sin to give praise to man, right? That's, that's a sin as well. That's what these people there at the celebration of his life, supposedly while he's dead. So they actually changed the wardrobe. Here's, listen to what Wikipedia describes the service. 
Brown's memorial ceremonies were all elaborate, complete with costume changes for the deceased and videos featuring him in concert. His body placed in a Promethean, I hadn't heard that word before, it means daringly original or creative. His body was placed in a Promethean casket, which was bronze, polished to a golden shine. And it was driven through the streets of New York to the Apollo Theater. That's where he had kicked off his career, I guess. And, in a, and, and, he's, and it's taken there in a white, glass-encased, horse-drawn carriage. There's probably people in the crowd looking at it and saying, Man, that's living. I want to be like that guy, right? In Augusta, Georgia, his memorial procession stopped. I mean, you would think this was Abraham Lincoln or something, right? But his, his memorial train stopped to pay respects at his statue, in a statue of him, en route to the James Brown Arena. During the public memorial there, a video showed Brown's last performance in Augusta, Georgia, with the Ray Charles version of Georgia on my mind, playing soulfully in the background. His last backup band, the Soul Generals, Mac knows all these guys, I bet, also played some of its hits during that tribute at the arena. The group was joined by Bootsy Collins on bass, with M.C. Hammer performing a dance in James Brown style. Former Temptations, it's a big party, right? Former Temptations lead singer Ali Ali Woodson performed Walk Around Heaven all day. I don't think so, right? At the memorial service, Brown was buried in a crypt at his daughter's home in Beach Island, South Carolina. All of this, and Brown, James Brown, was a very wicked man. He certainly ended in hell. He was arrested numerous times for beating his uh, four wives. He was accused of rape, probably brought and just bought himself out of that, those charges. He was arrested for drug and weapons crimes, did a couple years in, in the prison. And to add to his evils, he started out as a gospel singer. And, and when he was a youth, he got out of uh, youth prison by promising the judge that if he were granted parole, he would devote his life to singing to the glory of God, right? That was James, James Brown. Wicked, wicked man. The point is this. People like the rich man, people like James Brown, crave and lust for the praise and worship and approval of man. And there's all kinds of people that are just willing to give that praise as long as they get something out of it. You ever wonder why people are so crazy to get an autograph? Well, that's what that's all about. Then they can run off and say, oh, look, I got a selfie with me with this, this famous person, or here's the autograph that I, that I got, and, uh, and so on. Nobody asks you for, their, for your autograph. Right? That, that's not going to ben- benefit them any. They want a famous person. This is craving the praise of man. Paul ends the second chapter of Romans 
as he's talking about circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. That's who a true Jew is. And his praise is not from men, but from God. If anybody's living their life to earn the praise of man, that's what's motivating them to be popular, to be well-liked, to be approved of by this world. If anybody is in that, if that's the kind of heart that anyone has, be warned, you are on Broadway. And you better get off of it today. That's what Hebrews says. Today, if you hear his voice, detour. You, you need to go back to the start, go through the narrow gate, and get on to the narrow way, or you will end in hell. Luke 6. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The false prophets were popular. This rich man was popular. And Jesus says, you know what? If you're popular in this world, you say you're a Christian, but if you're popular in this world and you like being popular, and that's what, that's what motivates you, woe to you. Woe to you. God's judgment is upon you. You don't belong to me. We can examine ourselves further by asking ourselves, am I hated by the world? I mean, this world, this present world, does it, does it hate me? It hated Christ, and Christ told us the world's going to hate you. And the reason the world's going to hate you is because you are in me and the world hates me. I've known many people that claim to be Christians, but you can tell that they energetically pursue and crave the praise of men. It's what makes them tick. You know, it's, it's the man about town. It's the person that's, that's Mr. Popular. Their, their face keeps popping up all over the place because they're like, busy bees and on this committee that committee and so forth and and boy what a what a godly person that is what a popular person a person like that is on broadway and it ends in hell this was the rich man in his palatial home and then there was lazarus he's outside the gate he's poor covered with sores Desiring garbage, the dogs licking his sore. <clears throat> it, is, it, it is incredible that someone, like the rich man, can sit inside his mansion feasting sumptuously, that's a word, right? Sumptuously, right out there and right out there at the front gate. They see him there every day. Here's this Lazarus. What in the world goes through a person's, a person's head, right? Well, that's the sinful human heart. As John Bunyan said, it is a great error to look at the outward condition of a person and conclude that it is evidence what God thinks of that person. You look at the external circumstances, oh, God must love this rich man. Look at how he's blessing him. Boy, God doesn't want any part of this guy, Lazarus. He must have done something really bad. He's, he must be cursed then by God. Truth of the matter is, it was 180 degrees uh, around. 
on that. 1 Corinthians 1, For consider your calling, brothers. You, know, look, look, you guys, look around at yourselves. Look around at yourselves. Not many of you were wise when the Lord called you. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And that's what happened. These two men died. Listen to Bunyan again. Alas, poor men, they are so ignorant as to think that because a man is increased in outward things, and that by a small stock, therefore God does love that man with a special love, or else he would never do so much for him, never bless him and prosper the work of his hands. Ah, poor soul, it is the rich man that goes to hell. And the rich man died. And in hell, Mark, note, in hell, he lifted up his eyes. We need to think very carefully on these things because we are given to, in our flesh, we are given to judging from outward circumstances. It's not just in regard to people. It's in regard to churches, right? It is in regard to churches. Look at that church. Everything is happening. There's hundreds of people. God is blessing that church. That God, he, the Lord is really doing a work. Really? Does that square with what Jesus says so often in the, in the word? The rich man... And uh, I, I conclude that he was a real historic man, that Jesus is not presenting fictitious characters to us here. Uh, but the rich man uh, is meant to represent to us ungodly people in this, in this present world. And Lazarus, on the other hand, as well, a, a real historic man, nevertheless serves as a picture of the godly person. So what can we derive from that? Well, here's one thing. That in this present world, Christ's true people will experience many trials and afflictions, while the ungodly will typically enjoy a life of pleasure and ease. That's how it is. You look at the history of the church. Look at the experience of Christ's true people. John Bunyan being one of them. And uh, we need to be very clear on the truth of that or we can get into, into trouble. If Bunyan, if Bunyan had not gotten this down, and it took him a while, the Lord worked on him for a long time, but if, if Bunyan would have concluded that people like Lazarus are under the curse of God, under God's displeasure, Bunyan, he probably would have just withered away and died because he's 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel, see. I wanted us to, to take the time right now to have you listen as I read Psalm 73. It's printed out there in your handout. 
I can't help but think that Christ had this psalm in mind when he told us the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Follow along and you'll see what I mean. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay, so there's a, his thesis. That's, he maintains that. But the Lord had to teach him that, as you'll see. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Really, you might say his faith had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, (laughs) like the rich guy, right? They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their body's not covered with sores. And therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, verse 10 here is an interesting one. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Now, what that means is because externally it appears that the the wicked are prospering, Therefore, God must be blessing them somehow. What happens is they draw other people, his people. They draw draw God's people after them. Those people turn away from God and and they, well, there must not be anything wrong with this guy. And so then they start saying, how can God know is their knowledge in in the most high? Think of it. How often have we seen, how often have you seen, Wicked, evil people, counterfeits, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they gather a following for themselves from people who claim to be God's people. Happens all the time. That's what verse 10 is talking about. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. They can do insider trading. Nobody Nobody says anything. Make millions of dollars, right? All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What good is this? You know, for all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. That's what he was thinking. But if I had said, I will speak this way, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He was confused until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. In other words, until he said, Lord, what's going on here? Show me what's happening. I I don't want my I don't want to turn away from you like these, these other people, but I'm confused. What is happening? And the Lord answered his prayer. And here was the answer. 
He's like saying, Asaph, here's the way it is. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. See, they're walking, the wicked are walking moment by moment on a greased two by four. <laughs> and any second, it's going, it's going down, right? They're going down. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. They were a mist and they're gone. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart and conscience, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Lord, when I was thinking, when I was envying the wicked because they're prosperous, I was acting like a stupid beast, not like a man. I was ignorant. So he's confessing that to the Lord. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. The riches, the rich guy's riches, eh. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. And there it is. That's really the backdrop of what uh, that psalm is, the backdrop of, of Jesus' account here of the rich man and Lazarus. Bunyan again here, the saints of God are a poor, contemptible people. We're contemptible in the sight of the world, right? If you're going to follow Christ, you've got to be willing to be a fool for him because that's how the world's going to view you, as, as a fool. Saints of God are a poor, contemptible people. There was a certain beggar. That's what Lazarus is. He's a beggar. If you understand the word beggar, to hold forth outward poverty or scarcity and outward things, such are the saints of the Lord. For they are, for the most part, a poor, despised, contemptible people. Worldly success and wealth and riches and fame, that's not for God's people. It's a trap. You can examine yourself again. There's much room for examination here. So which of these two are you? Are you despised and contemptible to the world? Or are you really a worldling and popular with with your Worldly buddies, you see. Are you regarded as a fool for the sake of Christ? Or do you enjoy and seek the approval of men? You know, we can grow up in our sin and have sinful parents, for example, don't know the Lord. And we can be taught the most important thing is that you 
have the approval of others. You're going to say what you need to say. You're going to do what you need to do. You're going to be what you need to be in order to have the approval of others. That's what it's, that is what it's all about. The approval of, of the world. And that kind of thinking gets ingrained in our sinful mind, in our, in our sinful thinking, and we grow up so that we just automatically start doing it. That's how we live. We don't really are aware of it. You don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be popular with the world today. It's just, it's just who you are. It really requires the Lord to open a person's eyes to that. And I think a very good prayer would be, Lord, show me who I am. You heard there again, you think of Sproul this morning. He says he's walking by that mirror and he catches a reflection of himself, right? And uh, if, if the person who loves the praise of man ever has the Lord show him mercy and show that person who they really are and what they're really motivated by, it'll be like the Lord putting this mirror right in front of them and it will be a hard, painful, unpleasant experience, but that is perhaps the beginning of coming to uh, coming to salvation. <clears throat> the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. You know, death is the great leveler, isn't it? I don't care. The, the world's richest man, the world's poorest man, everybody is going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We all like to think we'd be that generation that's here, <laughs> alive when the Lord Jesus comes. But, but uh, um, we're all going to die we are going we are going to pass out of this of this present world and nobody's immune from it nobody rich poor doesn't matter powerful kings slaves nobody's immune from it and when we die um, what comes next is anything but leveling <coughs> lazarus is exalted and the rich man is is debased everything is turned around lazarus is rich with true treasure the rich man <coughs> has less than nothing and even in the moment of his dying we see that lazarus well <coughs> this i hope this is encouraging to all of you here you know that if you know christ the moment that you die, you're going to be, like Lazarus, met by angels. I mean, God is going to send heavenly emissaries to you. You're not going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death alone. And we will be escorted into, into heaven. And uh, I don't know how that's all going to be, but when Lazarus was escorted into heaven by those angels, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was like 
trumpets sounding and applause and cheers for one of God's people coming home. I think that's what it's, I think that's what's part of what it's going to be like. The rich man, he gets nothing. Body's thrown in a hole, he dies, and uh, well, he does get something because there's much, much more in this passage of scripture that the Lord gives us. It is an extraordinary passage as Jesus allows us to see into heaven and hell. Turns out that Hume and Kant and those guys were wrong. Jesus, we can know something about what is awaiting us up there in the, what do you call it, the the noumena. Um, But the emphasis here in what Jesus allows us to see is the rich man in, in hell. When the rich man dies <clears throat> and he opens his eyes and he sees he's in hell, he's going to find out it's too late. Hell is truth known too late. Father, we pray that you would bless these words to our spiritual good. We pray that you would challenge each of us to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We pray, Father, that as we continue in this passage of Scripture in the next couple of weeks, be your will, that, that you would continue to challenge us to self-examination, to open our eyes to, well, we pray that you would put that, that heavenly mirror right in front of us. Show us who we really are. And show us um, if that mirror demonstrates that we are dead in our sins. We pray, Father, that you would effect repentance and salvation in us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.